Hi, this is Natalie. Just a quick note that this episode was recorded prior to the current COVID-19 outbreak, which is why you'll hear discussion about some of the key industry events that Corey attends each year. Obviously, events are not happening as scheduled, but we think you will still get value out of hearing Corey's strategy for these events, which we hope will be back on the calendar soon. Hi, I'm Natalie Wires, along with Jason Nias from Digital River, an e-commerce company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our times. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started, lessons they've learned that have gotten them to where they are today, and what they believe is the future of online shopping. Hi, this is Jason Nias from Digital River, and I'm joined today by Corey Case, the Vice President of Customer Engagement at Cardinal Health. Nice to meet you, Corey. Thank you. Glad to be here. I appreciate you having me. Wonderful. Well, so could you start off by introducing our podcast listeners to who Cardinal Health is? Yeah, absolutely. So Cardinal Health is probably uh, one of the largest unknown uh, companies in the Fortune 20. So I believe we're Fortune 14, um, or at least uh, roughly Fortune 14, 15. And I would say, candidly, even in our backyard here in Columbus, Ohio, um, a lot of people don't know what Cardinal Health does. They often think we are a health insurance provider or company. But um, we are global in nature, so roughly $140 billion in revenue globally. Um, At a high level, that's really across uh, two businesses, our medical business. Um, So we happen to be uh, one of the largest, I think it's we're in the top 10 uh, med device companies in the world. And then separately, one of the largest uh, pharmaceutical companies, pharmaceutical wholesalers, um, and other services and solutions for the pharmaceutical industry. So at a high level, that's, um, that's Cardinal Health. And last thing I'll just mention is we also extend to all sites of care. So you think about hospitals all the way to small physician offices, clinics, um, skilled nurse, nursing facilities, and all the way uh, to the home, actually t- uh, providing products to, to patients. So um, pretty extensive reach. Um, I think we touch 85% of all hospitals in the United States. We have a product or a service touching half of all surgeries conducted on a day-to-day basis. So um, large impact on patient care, but we're just behind the scenes. Wow, that's unbelievable. And I was reading in my show notes, you have 50,000 employees around the world, which is an incredible amount. Yes, that's right. And, and seem to be growing as we either expand the business or acquire you know, other businesses. Well, how do you keep such a large employee base engaged and understanding all of the complex products and services? How do you guys have a discussion around your company and what you're doing? Yeah, that's a good, good and, and timely question because um, although at our at our C-suite level, um, at CEO and, and other leaders throughout the company have actually done a lot of work over the last many months, um, putting more definition and clarity around that. Not that we didn't know both uh, as business leaders and um, all fifty thousand employees, you know what we do and, and and what we do makes a difference every day in healthcare. But we're starting to crystallize that story and refine it a bit. All the way, you know, think of the traditional mission, vision, um, uh, values, and and ultimately our value prop. So. Um, that's, that's a heavy lift. My team isn't directly responsible for that, but we all own it and we all touch it. So when you think about taking that and then cascading and owning it across all 50,000 employees, it is, 
it is a lot of work across multiple product lines. I mean, it's that's multiple regions. Yeah, the, the internal communications team has their hands full with that job. Yes, that is incredible. Better than than uh, than me. Yeah, than right. Well, <laughs> let's talk about you actually. So your your job is vice president of customer engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a Fortune 14 company, that could mean a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, describe your role and, and what's kind of under your responsibility. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my team is a marketing team, uh, and, but we're a little different than most marketing teams and individuals across the organization. So a lot of our marketers across, whether it's our medic or pharma business, you know, have a product portfolio of services or solutions offering with oftentimes a distinct P&L. We don't. Um, the, the pieces and parts that we own and manage and drive are, are more horizontal in nature. We are dedicated to our medical segment, medical business. Um, there, and there are a few key areas of focus. Um, one is e-commerce, which I know is a topic for today. Um, and then we also uh, manage the Amazon uh, business relationship uh, as a channel for our products. Uh, loyalty programs, um, sales and marketing enablement, so that's primarily a third-party platform extended to our customer-facing folks um, like to improve. Tr- like training or? No, it's more, so um, it's simply, if I were to oversimplify it, it's providing a platform that's device and, um, and platform agnostic, works online, offline, that is a single repository for customer-facing content. Could be presentations, could be collateral, but a lot of our reps, we have a lot of SKUs in our portfolio. And so we have a lot of reps that have a lot of products. So the days of having printed collateral in your briefcase or in the trunk of your car are behind us. So how do you do that in a digital way to make sure they can optimally talk to customers while they're there in front of them? So really a marketing resource center, everything to do with your products, your offers, those kind of things. That's fair. And then the last piece that I'll just mention our area of focus is we have a small marketing communications like team uh, that partners very closely with our uh, branded products business. Obviously, Cardinal Health, one of the most successful companies in, in the world, obviously given the size and, and scope of what you do, uh, it's been around a long time in an industry that is constantly changing. Uh, can you share with us some of the challenges that you've come across in your current role and, and some of the things you're kind of doing to address the market change? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been in this role probably four and a half, maybe going on five years Uh, Time flies. And a lot of the things that I did reference just a moment ago with um, regards to our focus as a team, um, a lot of what we have been doing or building or launching has been um, new to the organization. Sometimes it's new to the medical business. Sometimes it's new across the entire enterprise. And so um, with that comes challenges. And uh, when a team gets a little frustrated from time to time, I just try to remind them the person you're working with, because we're a highly matrixed organization, so we rely heavily on cross-functional collaboration and engagement. And that's not always easy. And so when it is hard, um, I just remind the team, just take the time, explain what we're doing and why, because it might be new to them. And so we need their help, but help them understand what we're doing, how it enables the business, um, and ultimately their role in the process. So, you know, that's one thing in a, in a, at a high, high level, um, you know, specific to maybe the digital space and e-commerce more specifically. Um, I, mean, I would say the biggest challenge has been kind of prioritizing, um, it, whether it's funding, people, you name it, um, and, and really reacting 
responding to customer needs and demands among all the other priorities that we have. Because um, some of our competitors have made those investments and started that journey earlier than us. Um, doesn't mean we're so far behind and lagging and we can't catch up and be at parity and at sometimes uh, differentiate ourselves, but um, that's a little bit of the backdrop here. How do you get, so that's super helpful, how, how do you get good market intelligence? Do you get it from the field? The sellers tell you what the market expects? Do you do your own research with your team? Are you watching your competitors? How do you guys kind of define or decide your strategy as to where you're going to kind of go invest next across your disciplines? I would say all of the above, honestly. I mean, I think what I uh, really appreciate about this, the, my team in general, and a lot of folks have come in from outside the organization, and we've had to do that uh, purposefully and really needed talent that you know, had niche experience or depth of experience in e-commerce or other areas. Um, but where I'm going with this is the, the profile that's very important to us when we're looking, no matter what your title or responsibility is, that you're customer-centric. And so everyone uh, on the team currently, no matter what they're working on that I referenced earlier, you know, wake up every day thinking about you know, what we're doing matters to the customer and how can we do it better. And so um, we do it through a whole host, I mean, everything you described. So whether it's quantitative, qualitative, engaging with customers, we have you know, power user groups, customer advisory councils, we engage very uh, closely with our those that are closest to the customer, it could be sales, but it, uh, also very close partners with customer service and anybody else that might touch the customer on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and then scanning the market, uh, that could be the competitive landscape, uh, as well as just kind of industry trends. And industry trends could be in our space, it could be in B2B more broadly, or even beg and bar or borrow and steal from um, kind of the retail, the consumer space. Uh, yep. Well, that was actually going to be my, my next question is, are there things you've seen in the consumer space that very clearly you guys have adapted? And examples other people have used is how simple it is to book a room with Airbnb or to get a car with Uber. There's just things that have become so simple that are a single click that have changed the way that they expect business to be done. Are you guys seeing any of that? Or is there any examples you've seen that, that are relevant that you could share? Yeah, absolutely. I, I tell folks that in the last, well, ever since I've been in this role, so last four and a half, five years, I, I've seen a rapid acceleration in the changing mindset of the B2B buyer, at least in our space. But um, as I go to conferences and engage with others in the industry, it's B2B more broadly. Um, so a little bit of background, I won't go into detail um, currently, but one of our legacy sites, e-commerce sites that we retired September of last year, was launched in 1999. Ooh, you're an early adopter and then. It, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but our customers were still using it last year is the problem. Um, and it looked like 1999. Um, pretty archaic. I can show you some screenshots and you'll chuckle to say the least. Um, but the paradigm had changed a great deal. And it's not, it's not a novel uh, observation. You know, we're all consumers, um, and, and we all make consumer-like decisions, even in the workplace. Uh, whether you're sitting in front of a desktop in the basement of a hospital ordering products from Cardinal Health or not, um, the expectations are kind of just what you were hinting at, is I need a more consumer-like, improved user experience. Yep. Whether it's look and feel, user design, simplicity, minimize the clicks, make it intuitive, give me features and functionality that I expect. 
um, absolutely that's what we've seen. And that, and that was the catalyst, catalyst for the journey that we've been on, you know, whether it was making a case for change internally, um, the design itself, and certainly the execution um, and launch of our new site, which the, the journey continues. So we're always listening. That consumer-like mindset is heavily embedded in our customer and user base today. Well, you're leading the witness a little bit on my next question. Uh, you know, you guys have, first of all, you're in a, an incredibly regulated industry, which has all sorts of rules and things you can and can't do and data you can and can't have on the users of your product. How do you guys kind of navigate some of that, but at the same time, uh, use that data to your advantage to make decisions? You understand the question? Yep. So you probably have thousands of points of data coming in. How do you rationalize signal from the noise? Yeah, that's fair. Um, it's data can be incredibly powerful, particularly in a digital um, and e-commerce experience, and we recognize that. I would say because we're early in our journey with our new site, we're still immature as it relates to using the data, maximizing, and, and ultimately optimizing the experience for the user. Think about personalization, yep. which I know is a buzzword, often maybe overused, but very relevant even in in our in our space. So we're a little immature as it relates to that. Um, in fact, just uh, to pull the curtains back a little bit, we, we don't have the site fully optimized from a data and analytics perspective. And what I mean by that is we haven't tagged the site extensively or enough, I should say. And so we're not able to mine and, and have uh, sophisticated insights that we can really act on yep. um, just yet. We have a starter kit, but uh, hence why you'll hear me use the word journey quite often. Got it. And is there any sort of insights you get from your your you know your B two B buyers your your the the feedback from mm -hmm. the field the re, the usage of the product the hospitals feedback is any of that stuff tied together in any way yet? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we continue if this is what you're asking to take the pulse of the customer, yeah. whether it's behavior that we see, you know, page view, click behavior, number of login sessions, whatever. Um, the, some of those insights might be uh, from an e-commerce uh, perspective, but we also solicit quite often, you know, qualitative and quantitative feedback, whether it's through pulse surveys or we've established what we call power user groups. Um, so think of it as kind of a customer advisory council. We leverage that. Um, and actually, we're um, just a quick plug or commercial. We're pretty proud of the last customer sat pulse survey we did here in the last uh, eight weeks, roughly. Um, and it shows progress that a lot of the improvements that we've made over the last probably four to five releases is moving the needle and customers are feeling uh, better about some of the challenges we had post-launch. So move the needle pretty, uh, pretty, uh, um, pretty well and I uh, feel like we're on the right track. So Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Well, so one of the things that I'm very curious about, I'm kind of fascinated by the fact that you have 50,000 employees all over the world and such a diversified category of products, I would love to understand kind of change management, how you go and you convince leadership that they need to invest, that you need to shut down the September or the site from 99, how you relaunch something new, how you get into marketplaces. Like mm -hmm. how do you, what is the journey or the process internally that you have to go through? Not have to, but kind of checks and balances need to, to make change happen. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I'll tell you my story, our story, I should say, more specifically. We 
So there was a um, reorganization within the medical business, um, probably late summer of 2014. Uh, I was given this current role. It didn't include the e-commerce component, uh, but shortly thereafter, there, maybe three months, November of 14, I believe it was, it came my, my way because um, they couldn't find a home for it elsewhere. <laughs> so um, a couple of things to note. One, my background prior to that was not deep in e-commerce. I'm not a technology guy, although I'm dangerous enough now um, to speak a little technology, but you know, marketing, marketing strategy background. Um, secondly, there had never been prior to that a real business team, business owner embedded, at least within our medical business. I won't speak to the pharmaceutical side of the organization. So. Um, E-commerce had been kind of an afterthought, hence 1999 was the site, um, and uh, there ha hadn't been a priority, kind of a side project. So to get to your question and, and address it, you know, early on I realized if, we're gonna, if I'm going to do this, I have to because my boss called me and said it's mine, um, we need to do it right or at least make a case to do it right. Um, and at the end of the day, if the answer is no, then so be it, but let's, let's make a run at it. And so my first six months was really, one, assembling some talent and a team. Um, you know, my comment earlier about bringing in some folks from outside the retail space that knew e-commerce. And let's go talk to our customers. I know it's not a novel idea, but it really hadn't been done as it relates to e-commerce within that, the med business uh, previously. So really spent the first few months doing that. Uh, anecdotal, formal, informal research, and starting to synthesize all that information and build into a strategic roadmap that informed an investment ask um, you know, over a period of time. So that was, that was kind of phase one. Um, you know, to get at the case for change question, uh, that took a while. So I'll, um, in short, it took probably 16, maybe 18 months of constant rebuilding, reiterating on a business case, stakeholder alignment, um, getting told that's nice, thanks Corey and team, but not now, or come back again later, or so it was, um, but we persisted. So I was really proud of the team. It was the, we knew it was the right thing to do for the business and the customers were demanding it. So yeah. um, we, it made it worthwhile just to keep dusting off our business case or reshaping it or working on that stakeholder alignment tirelessly um, because it paid off eventually. Can you share with us where you're at in that journey? You described a whole bunch of things early on about marketplaces, e-commerce, loyalty. Uh, do you think you're 30% of the way to your kind of end state or give us, give us some state of the state of the union? Yeah. So we, we had an initial, uh, we painted a picture of a vision state. Uh, for launch state, um, and just to add a little bit of um, color around that, shortly after getting approval, you know, after that lengthy process that I alluded to, we took a 40% um, reduction on total capital um, investment for initial launch. So providing initial uh, or vision state for initial launch with 40% less investment is not achievable. Yeah. Um, so that was a difficult part of the journey out of the gate. We, you know, we only had a little bit of time to celebrate the funding approval and then got, uh, received that news. Um, so at that point we had to go back with, with our CEO of the medical business and align on what does 40% less mean. And so, um, it, it was a collaboration, but we had to quickly mobilize around who are we doing this for? So among our many uh, customer segments, is there a target bullseye that we should be building 
this 60% um, of Vision State 4. Um, furthermore, is there certain parts of the portfolio that are going to be more important when you think about the overall product and catalog experience? And so we did align on that. Um, and so we did launch in March of 2018. It was not, um, as you can expect, vision state, but always the intent to build towards it yeah. um, you know, po post-launch, provided we get more funding and make that case for additional in investment. Um, so that was that was our early the early part of our journey. Where we are currently, um, where I think you started with the question, is we've we've fortunately have been able to build onto the site with additional investment, and and as a result, this fiscal year we're July to June, so we're in the middle of our current fiscal. We will complete Vision State. So a little later than how we drew it up in the initial playbook but uh, with additional investment and focus and resources um, this fiscal year, at the end of the fiscal year anyway, we'll feel really good about you know, delivering on that original vision state. Which That's makes, impressive. It makes it challenging too, because um, it, we may talk a little bit around launch and migrating customers, but we didn't get a pass on holding off, retiring the two legacy sites and migrating all 40,000 users over, even though we didn't have our ideal vision state in place, if that makes sense. Yeah, still got to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You sound like and, the CFO. And at you the still got to do it well. <laughs> Don't screw it up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> no, that's fascinating. So one of the things that you said earlier, you know, I guess it's been five or six years ago now, you were handed e-commerce uh, and you have a marketing kind of background, not necessarily an e-commerce one. How do you get smart? How do you become an expert so that you can lead a team and make decisions around an e-commerce strategy in a relatively small window? You want to share any practices? Yeah, appreciate the compliments. Smart and expert. Um, I said become those things, oh, oh, but either oh, okay. way, take right. it as you want. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always had the opinion, and I've shared with my team or teams over the years. You know, I think sometimes we get we like to put marketing people in a in a box. You know, you're 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 B to C, you're B to B as one example. Yep. Um, I would say another example could be, well, you don't have e-commerce experience, but uh, I would say I always go back to marketing as a discipline where if you are, if you know the fundamentals and you can look at a new business, a new market, a new competitive environment, new landscape and break down the pieces and parts and create a marketing strategy, regardless of whether you have deep background and expertise, though, that type of, uh, those types of skills translate. Um, and so I feel like that, um, that helped me early on. I, I really took a view, um, one, surrounding myself with talent and expertise, deep expertise um, was a huge help, and it is to this day. But also, I look at it as a product owner. It's, yes, it's e-commerce. It was a little foreign to me at the time, but it's not too different than any widget that you might have product ownership of. Yep. And listening to your customers, it all starts with that, and then building... Um, you know, your strategic roadmap from there. And I know I'm over oversimplifying it, but that's really the approach I took at the time. Yeah. I, I like the, the, uh, the answer. I actually have a marketing background as well and feel very similar that it is a discipline, and, you know, inside of marketing, it's, there's analytics, there's PR, there's communication, there's all sorts of functions that in essence really can tie really closely to e-commerce and the way that you operate and run a, a you know, a site and store. So in terms of staying kind of current, staying in the industry, knowing what's going on. Are there events or trade shows or things that you would always make a priority that you attend because you get a lot out of them? 
Yeah, specific to e-commerce, um, we've seen a few industry events and conferences emerge over the last probably three to four or five years, um, and probably for the right reasons, meaning it is uh, B2B e-commerce is just exploding right now. And it's not just large Fortune 14, 20 or whatever companies. It, it is a lot of middle market, um, mid-market organizations that might be um, a lot of distributors that might be industrial, electrical distributors, those types of companies. And so as B2B e-commerce has exploded, you could blame it on the Amazon effect. But regardless, as we talked earlier, you know, B2B buyers want to interact like they do at home or on their favorite retail and consumer sites. So that phenomenon has driven folks to, that, at these organizations to wake up, not in all com- companies, and realize they need to do something but unsure of how. So I've seen many of these events. Um, Internet retailer has been around a little bit longer. Um, one that has emerged of late over the last two to three years is B2B Next. Yep. Has gotten a lot of traction. I think they've grown year, uh, every year they've hosted the event. Um, and get, it gets a lot of good, solid reviews from attendees. So I expect that event to continue to grow. So those are probably two that come to mind where we have a presence at every year um, from the team. So do you send your team on a mission to go learn, to go find technology, to go network? What's the mission when you send your team to an event like this? I would say first and foremost is to learn. Uh, And then out of that comes networking. So the team's really good at, yeah, we'll go sit in sessions and listen to speakers, but then engage with folks, whether it's the speaker or, you know, others that have might be of, you know, like interest, um, like industry. Um, So we, we absolutely go there to network as well, including with our competitors in a friendly way. Um, sure. Yeah. Very nice. Well, I think, didn't you speak at B2B Online? Was that a, did you have a presentation? That, uh, that is scheduled for, when is the event? March, April? Going to I speak. I probably should know that, but where's I will the, be. Where's the plug? Give us the plug. <laughs> so, so I'm on a panel and um, among a few other folks that um, really just talk about B2B e-commerce. Um uh, a little bit around the journey, but I think more specifically uh, around personalization and kind of where where organizations are going or should be thinking about going. Uh, in terms of influencers, so, you know, sometimes people look at uh, analyst people like Forrester and Gartner as heavy influencers. Other times there are, there are people who, you know, have a voice around B2B and anything they tweet, you kind of read. Is there anybody that you follow or pay a specific attention to who is an influencer? Yeah, I would say from the beginning, Forrester has been an influencer. And um, yeah, I, I know they've had some turnover in some of their, you know, their e-commerce analyst space, but they continue to produce good work, I believe, that's very insightful. In fact, there was an article um, early in my journey anyway, four or so years ago, uh, titled uh, "Death to a, a B2B Salesman." Andy Hoare. Andy Hoare. That's right. Yeah. Uh, who who has started B2B next? Yep. Um, just to give him additional airtime, I guess. Great guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a good guy, and and he was. He actually, we spoke to him a couple of times as we were getting started with our our work and our journey and our roadmap development, and he was very helpful and insightful. But anyway, the article I thought was very well done. In fact, um, if you remember the, the article itself, it, it wasn't projecting that all B2B salespeople are going away. It was just projecting, do you need humans doing some of the service and support activity that they're doing today versus the consultative selling? 
and really advising their clients or customers. And absolutely, um, he's spot on. And while we're B2B in general, slow to transform, we've already talked about it, that self-service and other capabilities at the customer's fingertips is absolutely needed, allowing the sellers to sell. Um, so anyway, I did send that article on to our sales leader at the time and he didn't reply. I guess he didn't think the title <laughs> death to a B2B salesman was funny, but, um, so that's one, um, uh, another one I would say is most, um, uh, that we follow closely and work with is, uh, Beck e-commerce. So I don't know if you all are familiar with, with Brian Beck. Um, I'm not educate me. So we've actually, um, you know, he has uh, consulted with us on a couple of engagements, but he, it, but he speaks at a lot of events and including many of the ones that we've mentioned and is an expert in the B2B space, B2B e-commerce specifically. And that's whether you're, um, you have direct e-commerce or you're looking at other channels, particularly Amazon as a marketplace, whether you're one P or three P seller. So those are some of his areas of expertise. Um, we've probably engaged with him most recently in his company around um, the topic of personalization. Wonderful. So those are probably the two that come to mind. Uh, and, of course, the Gartners and others, um, I would say, would be secondary. Secondary. That's wonderful. Well, in the, in the last couple of moments, I would love to ask you your favorite online shopping experience, whether it's B2B, B2C, whether it's, you know, mm -hmm. you pick. But do you have someone who really does it right? Yeah, I won't go with Amazon. Please, it's overused and abused, yeah, so I won't don't. do that, although packages arrive almost daily. Um, thank you, Amazon. Uh, the one most recently that's really impressed me, only because I'm in week six or seven of a DIY project, um, and I'll spare you the details, is Home Depot. I think they've really elevated their game, both in-store and online. I would... Um, as a and I'm a frequent uh, flyer at our Home Depot because it's closer than Lowe's and other competitors. And I was I would as of four or five years ago I would refuse to walk into our local Home Depot because customer experience was that bad. Um, and it started I believe at the top of the house and they've transformed their entire omni-channel experience. Um, in store is important, but uh, your question specifically around e-commerce, it's just an easy intuitive user experience, little things that aren't so little, like I know exactly what aisle and bay the product is, is in, in my local store or preferred store. If it's not, I can check nearby stores. They'll text the information to me. I know how many are in the store. Um, and I know this isn't super novel um, technology delivery, but for Home Depot and for the DIYer that's looking to find you know, obscure widgets and products, really, really solid and, and, and helpful. So as a result, they've actually um, gathered a lot of online business uh, from me as well, that if they don't have it in store, I'll place the order versus shopping on Amazon or other marketplaces. So yep. I would say Home Depot. I love the answer. And what I loved about it the most is, you know, you, earlier in the conversation, you started talking about getting the basics right, almost kind of working your way up Maslow's hierarchy, the things you're doing kind of do at, at Cardinal to kind of build up through the stack. And then, you, you know, you use the term novelty and, and uh, the fact that Home Depot is not really all about kind of bells and whistles and novelty. They're about execution and convenience and getting it right. So it's not about being kind of quirky and unique. It's about perfecting execution, which is, I'm glad you picked that example because it's incredibly coherent to what you're trying to do at Cardinal. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I've t told the team it's... Uh, we just right now need to do the basics right really, really well. I mean, our, our customers 
very simply, most of the primary use case is finding and evaluating products. 75 to 77% of every login session includes at least one search, often multiple searches. So heavy, heavy search uh, use case. Um, and we haven't claimed that we're building the Amazon for healthcare or medical products because that's, frankly, our customers aren't demanding it yep. right now. But it is executing on the basics, as, as you mentioned. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for spending the morning with us, Core, here in beautiful Columbus, Ohio, technically Dublin, home of Wendy's, but really appreciate you welcoming us into the building and, and showing us around, and thank you for your insights. Appreciate it, and thanks. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation, and uh, thanks for making the trip. Hi, this is Natalie. Next time on Commerce Connect, we travel to Los Gatos, California, where we talk with Deconium's Roland Oberdorfer about what it actually takes to build a new platform, common mistakes he sees, and a partnership with Volkswagen that could bring your car into the Internet of Things in a whole new way. You've been listening to Commerce Connect, brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.